Um, so I want, I want to get rid of the chairs back there and have you guys sit here, especially in the summer months when lots of people are gone and we're a little bit smaller and all. But thank you, McKenna. Come on, come, come on move up here, guys. We're going to stand, let's stand up and pray in as we're praying. If you, so you won't be too scared. You can come and move up here, okay? Because the closer you get, the more powerful I'm going to feel about <laughs> preaching the Word of God. Let's pray. Father, we just want to ask you to do the work in our hearts that only you can do. Nothing that we can do on our own is going to make any difference except this effort to seek you more, to know you more. And so, Lord, even the things that, that we just saw already, that we sang about, and that even that Dean spoke about, that money doesn't buy happiness, that, 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 we, that blessed are the poor, blessed are the poor in spirit also, and that we don't put our confidence in wealth and riches, and we don't seek all that stuff, but we seek you. We're seeking you tonight, Lord, and we know, we know that because you are our shepherd that you will provide everything that we need. And so we're asking for greater grace in our lives, on each one of us, and on me as I speak your word right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, guys, I want, does anybody read Time Magazine? My wife calls it the depressor, but... Um, <laughs> It's not always that bad. Here we've got on the front cover of Time Magazine the 100 most influential people in the world this year. And here's what I want you to think about. If I asked all of you to write down the names of the five most influential people in your lives, I bet that not one of you would write down the names of any of these 100 people. Because as much as whoever the guy is that decided these were the most 100 influential people, I don't think that guy is all that influential. Because you guys just proved him wrong because the people that you'd list wouldn't be those people. Right? Okay. But here's the deal. I am working my life away to try to make you guys the people who influence the future of this planet. That's what we're doing here. I didn't need a job. I wasn't even looking for a ministry to do here in America. I'm here because I'm because the Lord has placed me here and placed you guys here so that you guys are being trained to be the world-changing agents with the power of the Holy Spirit in you. We are in a war against darkness. We're in a war trying to rescue the souls of men and women. We're on a campaign to establish a kingdom that will be established, that will stamp out the kingdom of darkness in this world. And the, this endeavor, this campaign that we are on is empowered, is powered by the same power that raised Jesus from the dead and that set the universe in existence. That's the power that we're working with. And our strategy in accomplishing this world-changing campaign, this takeover of the, of the world for King Jesus, is the strategy isn't guns and tanks. The strategy is love. That's our strategy. These people, whatever influence they had, I mean, I'm, I'm looking through this, this Time Magazine, looking at these names, I'm thinking, I don't know who all those people are. They didn't influence me. But even, but even if they have influenced me and you guys in some way, you guys are the ones who are going to change the world because you've got a power in you that's stronger than anything else. You've got a power in you that, has, that will eventually bring all wrongs to right. And that's the power of Jesus. And your strategy is the love of Christ, compelled by the love of Christ. And that's important for you guys to understand. What I want to tell you guys today, what I want to share with you is a story of influence a story of transformation, a story of how the lives of some individuals empowered by the Holy Spirit and driven by the love of Christ transformed a whole 
people group. And here's the story. You guys want to hear the story? Okay. Story starts sometime about 1940 when a, a boy about five years old, I've got a picture of him up here. I want to put that picture up if you guys can. A little boy named Tommy who was living in Los Angeles. And one, one night, Tommy has a dream. And he dreamed that across the street from his house, there was a, a cliff. And in his dream, he looks on that cliff, and there is a tribal boy who's stuck, who can neither, neither get up or down. And in his dream, he goes across the street and rescues that tribal boy. And Tommy never forgot that dream. At the time, he didn't know Jesus. At the time, his family wasn't involved in church. But God used that dream to put something in his heart that made him determined that he would help tribal people. Then fast forward 10 years. 10 years later, in Duluth, Minnesota, there is a 16-year-old girl named Janet, and she's playing piano one afternoon, practicing piano. She's supposed to be learning, her, learning piano lessons. But what's going through her mind is this call of God that she knows is on her life to be a missionary. She knows that God is calling her to be a missionary, and yet she struggled against it because she, in her mind, the idea was that a missionary woman was going to go single and not have any kids, and she was not wanted to be a single missionary somewhere on the other side of the world. And she struggled with this. She, she knew God was calling her, and she'd resisted it, but she said, she finally said this one afternoon as she's practicing piano, she says, God, I surrender. Jesus, I surrender. I give you all my life. I'll go wherever you ask me to go. I'll be a missionary to tell people on the other side of the world about you. And it was like the Lord responded and said, and you're going to have a husband and kids too. So I fast forward eight more years. Eight more years. Tom, by this time, had become a Christian, follower of Jesus. He'd been in the military. That was part of his running away from the, from the Lord. But the Lord had brought him back to himself. And by this time, he was determined that he was going to make his life in missionary work, translating the Bible into an indigenous language. And Janet was, both of them met their senior year at Bethel College in Minnesota. And they became friends talking about anthropology and Bible translation. And at their graduation, he said, hey, we're both going into missions. Why don't we do it together? It wasn't quite like that. But they got within a year and a half, they were married, and they were living in a tribal house in the Philippines that they bought for $13.50. There's the house right there. And so as you, if you guys haven't guessed so far, um, the, Tom and Janet are my parents. And they went to the Philippines in 1962 and began to er learn the Agta language. Uh, they began to learn the Agta language. The, the, peop the Agta people at that time were hunter-gatherers who didn't have any education, and they weren't at all interested in Jesus. The Agta people at that time had an infant mortality rate of 48%. The life expectancy at birth was 27 years old. 15% of the men died of homicide. And the population of the Agta people had declined significantly due to alcoholism and malnutrition. But they were fun people, just like Dean said. They knew how to smile. They were fun. My parents enjoyed living with them. And later, um, as we were born, we loved the Agta people. And they loved us. And they treated me and my sisters and my family not as outsiders, but just like we were one of them. And I grew up speaking their language. And um, they, were my, they were my friends. 
they were my friends and they were my people. And I wasn't, you know, I, I, was, I, was the, I was the white guy, but they didn't treat me like I was any different than them. Now, I want to show you guys some pictures of, of what they're like. Here's, here's what they looked like back then. Uh, you, see, you like the houses? Great thing about the house is you don't have to sweep. If it gets dirty, just pick the house up and move it. Uh, no need for cleaning. Okay, keep going. Show, show the next slide. Um, small people. I mean, the average man weighs 101 pounds. The average woman weighs 86 pounds. Of course, that's changed now. Uh, next picture. This is what we used to eat. This is called piggyback. Um, that's my... That's my Uncle Ellie Din, who was carrying that pig. Here's Monkey. Um, this is my friend um, 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 Bonding, and um, can't remember his name, but um, kids I grew up with. We, we ate pig meat. We ate monkey. We ate, what's that? Python. That's Python. 20, 22 feet, 10 inches, that snake was, and 26 inches in circumference. Anybody want to go to the Philippines with me? Okay. Um, my parents spent time sitting in in Agta houses, learning the language, learning, 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 learning. There's the most dangerous of the Agta people. <laughs> There's my sister, and you, you all grew up playing with dolls. We had real dolls. We had monkeys. Um, um, and those of you that were in the Philippines with me, well, right, you met her. She's still alive. The others of our friends died uh, as we were growing up. Uh, didn't have a car. This was our Toyota. Uh, and um, this was our Honda. Now, this, 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 was, this was when we lived, um, had a boat later on. Um, this is how we ate. Um, ate on the ground off banana leaves, rice, and fish. Me and my brothers and sisters. Okay, that's that. That's I'm part of what you just saw from Dean. Um, but here, here's what happened. My parents went there in 1962. 1962 went there, started learning the language. No outsider had ever learned the language before. They started by by um, learning sounds and writing those things down, and gradually learned the language and translated the the New Testament. And was, that finished in 1979. 1979, the translation of the New Testament was done and published, printed out. And between 1979 and 1998, not one copy of that New Testament was sold. They gave away copies, but nobody used it. And in 1998, something happened. <laughs> Sorry, guys. This is just, this has been my life. And, um, in 1998, something happened that we prayed for. And, and th something we prayed for, but God exceeded our expectations. The, P the Ogda people turned to Jesus. And I started hearing little rumors about it. And I went there, and I couldn't believe what was happening. And I thought, maybe this is just a fad. These people are going to trust Jesus and then go back to their old ways. But what happened was that they turned to Jesus, the whole, the whole tribe of them. None of them now, every one of them claims that they follow Jesus. Not all of them do, of course, but at least they claim to. There's churches. There's Bible studies. I found people. I was walking um, 
next to through one of the villages, and I heard somebody sound like Will Preby chanting. And I was like, what's going on? And I turned the corner to one of my friends, and he's reading the Bible out loud. Just reading the Bible. I'm thinking, that's amazing. This guy is studying the Bible on his own. That was, that was un, uh, unbelievable for people who are not at all interested. And what's amazing is that there is a transforming power in, in the Word of God when people turn to Jesus because this has had an effect on their tribe dramatically. I mean, when I was a kid, every day people were drunk, and the, the, the cost of their drinking was the lives of their children. And so, so many of, our, of the kids that I grew up with died. My fr- I mean, we, just, we, we, we dug holes and buried my friends as we were growing up. Almost none of the kids are dying anymore. The kids are happy and healthy, and it's because the blessing of God is on the Agta people, so much so that the, the, the surrounding people that used to look down on the Agtas, the Agtas used to be considered the refuse of society. They're not the refuse of society anymore. There's people who are telling me that they're jealous of what, what, what's going on with the Agta people because they are so, so blessed. It's amazing. And now, not only have they turned to the Lord, but they want to learn. And they've got this passion for, they've all, all these kids that are talking about what they, they want to be doctors and teachers and lawyers and missionaries and pastors. And, and the, the amazing thing in all this is that I get, I've gotten to be a part of it. That I've been going to the Philippines every couple, every time I could save enough money to go to the Philippines, I'd go back there for all these years. And of course, I'm able to go more often now, but it used to be I'd go back and I'd buy, you know, I'd, I'd try on anything. Buying chickens, raising pigs, trying to pay, get people to go to school, educate. They weren't, nothing worked. But in 2015, I was back there. This is what, um, a few years back, I was there with Jonathan Anderson and Tim Lash. And I sat down with the pastors and some of the village leaders and I just said, you know, what can I do to help you guys? And they said, we want our kids to go to school. And that, that, that's shocking to me because they didn't want to go to school before. But they, they said, here's the deal. Our kids can go, to, go up to sixth grade for free, but it really costs us after that because we've got to pay for tuition, we've got to pay for uniforms, and we want our kids to go to school, so how about a scholarship program? And I thought, I can do that. I can, I, if, if I can't find the money elsewhere, I'm going to pay for it myself. Dollar a day per kid, and we started off that year with 27 kids. I, I think we've got a picture up here. Of, there's the first year, there's the first the, the first group of kids, 2015-2016 um, school year, and uh, so 27 the first year, then we had 35 the second year, the third year we just finished, um, and we had 46, and now we just got 12 new applications. Um, so starting in June, when the school year starts there, we've got almost 60 kids that were here, here they are. This is the 60 kids that were sponsored, and somehow Violet got in there too, um, <laughs> but. But, uh, I mean, I'm thinking, God, God put this together. This was something more than what I could have, what I could have imagined doing. So as we're, as we're in the Philippines, now, if you're in the Philippines, we can raise your hand. We had nine of us go. Okay. So we, five of you are here, and, um, and so, what, did I miss somebody? Okay. Um, as as I, we were going there, I, I just, I think I mentioned to the team, as we're headed into the, into the um, village area, the Lord is going to be speaking to you guys. But if you're not careful, you're going to miss it because he might be speaking Agta. Uh, 
But we're going to get into in, in there, and you guys listen for what the Lord's saying. And I, and I was speaking to myself, too. So as I'm back here, I'm thinking, Lord, what was it that you were speaking to me? And I want to share with you guys just four things quickly of what the Lord was speaking to me, teaching me that I feel like I need to share with you guys. So the first thing is, first thing is that God has a bigger plan than I do. God's got a bigger plan than you do. And here's what I mean. When I first heard that the Ogd people were becoming Christians back in about 1998, when they just like all of a sudden the floodgates opened and people turned to the Lord, it was hard for me to believe that it was true. I'd hoped that maybe someday there might be a few Ogdas who would become believers. But I had no idea that the whole bunch of them were going to become believers. I had no idea that that could happen. But the even bigger plan that God had that I could never have comprehended that still amazes me is that he gave me the privilege of taking these people, this this tribe of people, this ethnicity of people, and taking them to the next level by giving them an education. God worked that out in a way that I could never have planned So many of you guys know my story because I've shared it with you before. I won't share the whole story now because we don't have time. But how I came to the United States, not having a clue to what was even going on here. I didn't have a resume. I didn't have a job. I didn't have money. My family wasn't here. I didn't have friends. I didn't have a car. And I just, in my mind, it just looked to me like I was going to be, I wasn't going to ever figure out how to make life work here. But God stumbled me into situation after situation. God led my life and gave me jobs you know, I, I stumbled, I ended up as a banker, so I learned what money was. Then I ended up as, and working in a mortgage bank. I didn't know what a mortgage was, but I, but I learned what money was. I learned what a mortgage was, and an electrician told me to come and work for him, so I worked as an electrician. Then I worked for a builder. All these things God was putting in place so that I could do that real estate investment business when I moved to Texas so that we could be supporting these Ogden people now. I could never have planned that. That was something God did. And now I'm looking back, I'm thinking, God, you planned this whole thing out so that the Ogda people, and not just Ogda people, because we're doing stuff all over the world. We're doing stuff here. But God planned this out in a way that I could never have planned it out. It blows my mind. The Ogda people's future is being turned around right now because of a plan that God had that was so much bigger than I could have ever imagined. Guys, I want to read you. Let's look, let's look at Isaiah 55. I just want you to see uh, how God works. Isaiah 55, if you guys would look there, starting in verse 6. Isaiah 55, verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Amen. Get that stuff out. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy. And just think about this. Think about people turn to the Lord and God has mercy into our God for he will freely pardon. And God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. And the Lord says, I got a plan that's way bigger than yours that's going to blow your mind. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Verse 9, as the heavens are higher than the earth. How far is that? That's like 15 billion light years higher. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain of snow, check this out, as the rain of snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth, making it bud and flourish so that you'll seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word, the Lord says. It It will not return empty, but will achieve the purpose for which I sent it. 
and accomplish what I desire. Do you guys understand? What God is saying is, is my word never fails. Your, my parents went to the Philippines in 1962 and planted seed after seed after seed after seed after seed. And I spent years thinking, was that just in vain? But it cannot be in vain because it is the word of God and the word of God never fails. And what you guys are doing right now in your places, in your families, in your workplaces, in your planting seeds, those seeds might look like they're going underground and not, and not going to grow. But it is impossible for a true seed planted in faith to go unnoticed. What we're doing in Japan now, right now with, with so many of you is going to transform Japan. And, and because of the confidence that I have, because I've seen what God did in the Philippines, I don't have any, I've, we've spent $100,000 of my own money doing ministry in Japan. And every penny of that is going to produce a fruit that God promises cannot return void. The people of Japan are going to finish Jesus because of, of what we've done. God has a plan for your life. You guys, you guys have plans. You guys have things that you want to do. You have things that you know God's calling you. God's call in your life is bigger than what you guys understand. God's got something bigger in store than what you understand. Okay, that was the first thing. God has a bigger plan than you do. Second thing is God may have a slower plan than you. Okay, here's what I, here's what I want you to think about. We had a situation where one of my one of my nephews and nieces who married each other back in the Philippines, um, Totoy and Dina, their daughter is a little girl named Fatima, who I didn't realize it, but they, when I was there, they said, did you know, Steve, that you saved her life when you were here in 2011? I didn't realize that, but Fatima is deaf. And as soon as Logan heard that she's deaf, he's like, I'm praying right now. He puts his hand on her, and he's just saying, Jesus, would you heal her right now? In Jesus' name, we're, we're asking for healing. And I'm... I'm excited about Logan's faith. I'm like, yeah, Jesus, do it. And she didn't get healed. And I'm bothered by that. I'm bothered every time that we pray for healing and, we don't, and somebody doesn't get healed because, I want, because I'm expecting that the kingdom of God is coming in power and healing ha- should happen when we pray. In fact, Jesus commanded us to go and heal. So when things don't happen like we pray, I'm bothered by that. Because what I want is something like that healing that would make my job a lot easier. You guys hear what I'm saying? I always am telling the Lord, Lord, if you'll do that kind of healing while we're in Japan, then we can be done. Because everybody just turns to Jesus. Jesus knows better than me because he remembers when he healed person after person after person after person. And did the people turn to him because of that? No, they killed him. They killed him. Healing somebody does not necessarily turn people's hearts. What does turn people's hearts, what I'm realizing as I do more and more ministry, is God's method of turning a people group to him is not a circus. We want a two-week experience where we're going to be healed, be healed, be healed, be healed, and we get away, and now we can relax. And God's method of changing a society, of changing a people group, is 55 years of work. Do you guys hear what I'm saying? We want God to heal so we can be done. What God wants to be the changing agent in a people group or on a campus or in a workplace is not that we walk in there and do a quick healing seminar, but that we give our lives. So here's the question that God's asking me and that God's asking you guys. Are you interested in being a part of God's work if you can just go heal people and then go back home? Or are you willing to be a part of a 55-year plan to change a people group? Are you willing to give your lives to that kind of thing? You're going to give your lives to something, by the way. 
He either left to some corporation or to some group of people. Why not give your lives to a people group, to change a people group for the glory of God? Why not? Why not? It will take 55 years. We want microwave speed conversions, transformation. But that's not usually how God does it. The way that God does it is he, use, he uses a life, a lifelong commitment. The third thing that the Lord was speaking to me is this. God's strategy has more to do with what we are than what we do. Okay? God's strategy has more to do with what we are than what we do. As I was talking with one of our group members and our team members as we were headed home, she said, as I asked her how she thought of the trip, she said, you know, there were times that I was a little bit frustrated because I didn't feel like I was being used. You guys know that feeling? You ever been in a situation like that where you sacrifice your time and your money and your energy and you go to this thing and you, and you give up all this other stuff and you get there and they have you clean the toilet? And you're like, I did all that for this? I know that feeling. And I hate that feeling. It's like how many times I'm like, I just gave up so much to be here and you're having me put peanut butter on sandwiches. What's my problem in that situation? The, the problem is, is that God isn't interested in what I can do for him as much as he is interested in doing something in me to change my life, to make me look like him. The world isn't changed by you guys doing something great. The world is changed by God doing something great in you. God's method isn't what you do for him. It's what he does in you. How many of you guys want to do something great for God? I do. I'm like, God, use me. Do something great. Don't let me reach thousands of people. Let me reach hundreds of thousands of people. And God says, okay, but what I'm really interested in is your heart. And I remember, I remember when God first started calling my life, and I was, I was in high school, and I was, like, I was talking to my parents. Maybe this was just shortly after high school. I was like, I want God to work through me. And I remember my dad saying, Son, God wants to work through you, but he's a whole lot more interested in working in you than he is in working through you. Because if he works in you, the world is going to change. It's possible for you to go out and preach the sermon and not have a changed life yourself. But it's impossible for you to have a changed life where God works without you proclaiming that message to the world. Okay, the fourth thing that the Lord has really shown me in this trip is this. We are in a war competing with the kingdom of darkness for the hearts and minds of people. Let me just say it again. This is what the Lord is showing me. We're, we are in a war, guys, competing with the kingdom of darkness. We're competing with the kingdom of darkness for people's hearts and their minds. The Agda people have turned to Jesus. They're being educated. They can read now. And one of the biggest challenges that they're facing is something that I noticed there this time that I never noticed before. You know what? They got cell phones. And they got, the first time that I've been there, that I've had electricity in the village. Last year when I was there, there wasn't electricity. They'd had it, but it wasn't there when I was there. They got TVs in their huts now. So that they can watch 
24 hours a day the muck that the world is going to feed them. And I think that the devil doesn't mind so much that they become Christians as long as they can be the kind of Christians that are satisfied giving their time to the thoughts and attitudes of the world. I'm scared about that. I'm scared. I'm, I'm, I'm praying for the future of the people. That what, what God has started in them, the, what the Holy Spirit has done to them, won't be squelched out because of all the pleasures that the world has to offer. And guys, it's the same for us. Same thing for us. I was on the plane. We got, we got back, what, less than 48 hours ago, right? And Violet just got back this morning, yesterday morning. Yesterday morning, because her plane took a wrong turn somewhere. Um, she almost didn't get to go. Uh, so we just got back, but I'm sitting on the plane, and I'm looking at what's going on the plane. At first, I'm thinking, what are all these people thinking about? There's 500 people on the plane, and all of them have stuff going through their minds, right? What are they thinking about? You know, you know what they're thinking about. They're thinking about whatever's right there on the screen in front of them. 500 screens, all watching Mostly muck, gruesome acts of violence, sexual acts on the screen in front of them. And I'm thinking, none of these people who is sitting here on this plane is choosing what to think about. They're allowing their thoughts to be directed by movie makers. And here's what I, here's what I thought. I thought, we're our challenge in changing the world, in becoming people who influence the world, you guys being the next hundred influencers of this planet, our challenge is to help you think, you choose to think the right thoughts. If you don't choose what to think, the world will do it for you. They'll tell you what to think. Every billboard, every commercial, every movie, the movies have a message. They're not just innocent movies. They're teaching you how to think. And I'm asking you to, to choose not to think. Colossians 3, since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Set your minds on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Do you guys hear me? This is a choice you have to make. If you don't make the choice, you will think what the world is telling you to think. I'm begging you, you know, you know, Ohana House, um, one of our student discipleship houses, Luke and Tobias are leading that house, and they just, two weeks ago, they, they said, no more media. We're just taking a media fast. I was so proud of them. Of course, they had some pushback, because some guys were like, well, what do you expect us to do? I don't know. But, but when I asked somebody yesterday who was telling me about it, I said, so is it making a difference now? Let me ask you guys. Who's in Ohana House? What, we got one person? Right? Who's in, who lives in Ohana? Where's our guys, man? If, okay. Now she's, okay, we got, we got 10 or 12 or 15 guys living there or something. Um, I don't know where they all are. But, but is it making a difference, guys? Is it? Okay, here's what I want you guys to think about. You choose what you think about. If we're going to be the people who influence the world, if we're going to be more influential 
than the 100 people that this Time Magazine says are influenced in the world, then you guys have to be, you're going to be people who choose not only what you think about, but other people are going to follow you because you chose that thing. Praise God for what he's doing among the Ugg people. Praise God for what he's doing here. Pray, I praise God that I get to be a part of it. I, I'm like, I get to be a part of this thing that God's doing. But it's not okay for me to sit back and just think, you know what, people can live their lives how they want. If you're going to be a part of the cornerstone, you, if you're really going to be a part, if you're not just going to show up here on Thursday nights and say, I guess I, you know, let's show, tell, me, tell me what's up. If you're really going to be a part of what we're doing here, then I'm asking you to say, I'm going to make Jesus my focus. I'm going to put my mind on him. I'm going to put my affections on him because I'm going to let him change my life. Let's stand up and let's pray. Somebody was in my office yesterday saying to me, saying, a guy was in my office yesterday saying, you know, I just don't feel like I belong here. And I, was, I thought he meant because people were rejecting him. But then he said, no, it's not that. He said, it seems like everybody except me is passionate about Jesus. And I'm not. That was a confession that he was making. And some of you can, can, can agree with that. You're like, yeah, that's me too. Nobody just wakes up one morning and says they like beets. Who likes beets? Not me. How, how does a guy who doesn't like beets decide he's going to like beets? Just by telling himself, if you don't love God, how do you learn to love God? Well, let me ask you this. Where does love come from? It comes from him. So if you don't love God like you know you're supposed to and love comes from God, then how do you get love in your heart for him? You ask him. So what I'm asking you guys to do right now, right now, the, re the reason that you choose to think about all that other stuff other than him is because you don't love him enough. How do you love him more? Not by Steve kicking you and saying, you better love God more. That doesn't work. What works is you say, God, would you put my love in your heart? Would you put your love in my heart? So let's pray and ask him to do that. Would you guys just say this with me? Lord Jesus, would you put your love in my heart so that I can love you more? and love other people more? Would you change me in every way to make me a person who influences the world for you? Father, would you help all these people here tonight that they will live with that prayer in their lives, that they would pray a thousand times a day, teach me to love you more. And Father, would you do through this group, on this campus, in this city, in this world, the kinds of things that you did through my family in the, in the, with the Agda tribe. And we're just asking for more, Lord. And I just I do pray for the Agda people, Lord, that they would just continue to grow in you and that they would turn away from all the muck that the world wants to feed them and that those students that we get to share with, that they would become leaders and influencers in the world and that they, you would change other people groups because of the Agda missionaries who go out from there. I'm asking you, Lord, for greater grace on their lives and on our lives that you protect us and lead us into righteousness. King Jesus, we love you. Teach us to love you more. In Jesus' name, amen.